0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
1: I've been telling you for a while that they weren't going to release us from their grip. They weren't going to let us get out from underneath their thumb. The authoritarian Democrats so brainwashed, so in love with the sound of their own voices and the ability to tell you what to do, that it wasn't just going to be a function of the caseload for covid going down. That we couldn't just say, hold on a second, look at mask mandate states and unmasked mandate states or states that didn't require it and see the data and come to the obvious conclusion about what worked and what didn't work. Come to the very clear uh, consensus that so many of these so-called interventions and mitigation measures barely worked, if at all, and created enormous costs. That they would look at the data on schools, they would look at what's happened to small businesses and realize that this was a mania, a lunacy that they were all on board with because it meant they could be Trump. But now we have to actually suffer through the consequences as a country. Now that daylight is emerging in America from this pandemic, we see the full scale and scope of the damage. They're not going to relent, but the big social media companies aren't going to relent either. And they are constantly tracking you. This is a really big problem. You can't trust these companies anymore. I don't trust them. I don't want them tracking me. I don't want them being able to know everywhere that I've gone because they keep that information. They run it through algorithms. And it could be used against you down the line. Who knows? There's a lot going on right now in the world of tech that should put you on edge. And so you need to use tech to your advantage where possible to protect your privacy, to protect your online viewing habits. That's why I've got ExpressVPN. This is the most trusted the best name in a virtual private network you can possibly get expressvpn make sure that when you search for something online when you watch a video or click a link it isn't getting tracked the same way by big tech companies when i use expressvpn companies can't actually see my ip address at all my identity is anonymized by a secure vpn server my data is also encrypted for maximum protection Don't let these companies get rich off of violating your privacy and also perhaps using what you do against you down the line. You know, you have the wrong thoughts about Fauci. If you're like me, you're already targeted by Facebook. You're already targeted by Google. Make it harder for them. Use technology to your advantage. That's ExpressVPN. This is a must. You have to have ExpressVPN. Download it to all of your devices. This is the company I trust. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and the government. Defend your rights. Defend your privacy with the VPN that I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn. Dot com slash buck right now. Biden finally emerges to give a speech addresses the nation. And my Lord, was it depressing? I mean, this was the speech in tone, in tenor that you could have expected perhaps 12 months ago from a president. But even then, I think it would have been tone deaf. This is exactly what the Democrats have become. Listen to us or else. Don't look at the data. Don't look at your own experience of what's happened in this country. Do what we tell you or terrible things will happen to you. For a lot of us, we'll look at this and say. Hold on a second. We have over five hundred and twenty five thousand dead in America right now from covid-19 over the last 12 months. Who, Who thinks that this was well handled? Who thinks that our mitigation measures, as Fauci says, were a success? Oh, because We're the country that doesn't listen. Well, as you know, on a per capita basis, the U.K., which had more extreme restrictions, had a higher death count than we did. So it's not just America. It's not just Trump supporters. They can live in this fantasy land as much as they want. They failed. The lockdowners failed. We have the data. We have the information. There is no honest, good faith argument anymore about their success. The only question is how catastrophic, how painful was there wrongness for all of us? I mean, I honestly wanted to scream profanity at the TV when I'm watching Joe Biden tell me and tell everybody else across the country that if you if you do everything I say, you know, maybe you could actually have a barbecue with your family members next summer. Uh People are barbecuing right now, Joe, all across the country. People are indoor dining. People are living their lives as much as they possibly can. Despite the lunatic libs running around saying, triple mask. Where's your triple mask? Why don't you take it seriously? They're all so frightened because of the panic porn that has been out there. They say things like we denied, like the Trump administration denied the virus, virus deniers. That's a stupid slander that only morons could say out loud. Trump shut down international travel. 12 months ago, blocked flights from China, but then also blocked flights from all over the world. We shut down travel. We had lockdowns. Trump extended the lockdown request. I mean, I know it was in the hands of the states, but he said this is what we should do. There's no virus denial. The only difference here is people who think that if you get constantly hectored, if you're being nagged incessantly by a bunch of of. Power mad hall monitors from the CDC and from the, the corporate media about washing your hands and social distancing. If only you get nagged enough, we're going to save lives. Didn't work. Didn't work. They, they can keep pretending like they're great heroes and all this stuff. But the virus ripped through the country. We have tens of millions of confirmed infections, more infections than we can when we can actually count right now. We don't even know. They say 40% of cases are asymptomatic. Let me ask you this Do you think that 40% of asymptomatic cases have actually been caught? So, do you think we've even gotten to close to half of the number of asymptomatic cases? That are, of course not. Whatever happened to serology testing? We used to do that. Why did we stop? Ask yourself these questions. All the people that come at me that are so angry, it's really because they're both afraid and they're vain. They think they're smarter than they are. They think they've really thought this through. I remember when we were being told that test and trace was necessary to reopen at all. In New York, it was actually considered a requirement. We can't can't open restaurants. We can't open up businesses until we get to a certain test and trace level. Well, that was idiocy because we're never going to actually get to that level of test and trace because you can't actually chase down every contact and every positive case at any given time in any population center of the country doesn't work. We've Never been able to do it, but they thought that that was necessary. That was last June. I'm not talking about 100 years ago. That was in 2020. Whatever happened in serology testing in New York City, serology testing showed last June, 20 percent of the city had already been infected. Oh, we were masking. All right. Masking everywhere. We had shut down businesses. We had all kinds of procedures in place. 20% of the city got infected with this virus. How many do you think have been infected by now? Just just take that as, as an example. We had the most cases, the most deaths, the worst outbreak of the virus yet over this winter. So you you have to assume another 20 to 30 percent of people were infected in New York over the wintertime. I mean that's just common sense. And so now we're getting to 40, 50 percent of people that have already been that have already had the virus. And we've now added into that large numbers who have been vaccinated. So we're getting pretty close to the end of this thing for real. Does it sound like that, though, when you hear Joe Biden? Why are they doing serology testing? Because people would realize this notion that we have to get the whole country vaccinated is crazy. We've had tens of millions of people that have immunity to the virus from having had it already. Are they supposed to get vaccinated, too? We're supposed to pretend that what we know about over 100 years of of medicine and vaccination, that it doesn't count anymore. Notice you, you don't even see why don't they do any serology testing? Why is it never publicized? Why haven't you seen a story on it where they draw blood and they look to see what the antibody levels are in a population? They check for previous infection. Ask yourself these questions. They don't have good answers. They just get mad at you. They say, listen to the science. Obey Fauci. Listen to the science. That's all you'll ever hear from them. And what Joe Biden was saying last night, I mean, it honestly, it enrages me. It enrages me. I get angry about this now because these people are tyrants. They're not living in reality. They're pretending that they're also rooted in the data. They're also smart. It's laughable now except it's deadly serious, but it's laughable that they still cling to the belief that they knew what to do all along, that they had the answers, that Joe Biden and his team, you know, he walks out there, he struts out to the podium, he's wearing his mask for the walk up to the podium, and then he takes it off. Yeah, that's really, that's great. Really keeping people in the empty hallway safe until you walk up to the podium, and now you're, so what exactly was the mask wearing? It was all for show. It's virtue signaling. It's vanity. It's vanity from people like Biden, the guy's already vaccinated. You're still wearing masks after vaccination. I I want you to remember something. It would have been considered lunacy a year ago to suggest that vaccinated people with a 95 percent protection rate, vaccinated people, depending on I know if it's the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine, uh, would still have to go through all these restrictions afterwards. People would have said, well, that's crazy. That's where we are. Don't let them gaslight you. Don't let them pretend that what you know to be true is not true. And don't let them get away with stuff like this. I mean, this was where it really reached a a, a peak of of mania. Joe Biden talking about what's in your future if you do everything
2: that you're told. Play one. I need you. I need every American to do their part. That's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity and to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together after this long, hard year. That will make this Independence Day something truly special, where we not only mark our independence as a nation, but we begin to mark our independence from this virus. But to get there, we can't let our guard down. This fight is far from from over. As I told the woman in Pennsylvania, I'll tell you the truth. A July 4th with your loved ones is the goal. But a goal, a lot can happen.
1: I've been seeing my loved ones for 12 months now. We've taken certain prescri- uh, you know, taken certain precautions at different times, especially in the earlier days when we didn't know more about the virus. And I'm sure that 90 percent, 99 percent maybe of those of you listening right now across the country have also not not seeing your loved ones. It's like Fauci and Biden don't actually live in America they just go from a hermetically sealed box to the green room or, or, you know, to the the satellite hit they do on CNN or MSNBC, and then they go back to the hermetically sealed box. They've got to be kidding me. Do you really think anyone's going to be listening to them as the, the caseload has already dropped, not because of masks, not because we've done anything. All right. That's just ridiculous now to hold this position. Oh, we fought so well against the virus. No. The winter time is ending. The flu season, which is now the COVID season, uh, has dissipated because that's what happened last year, too. We've all seen this. All right. We've all seen the curves go up and come down. It hasn't changed. We know what's going on here. Listen to me, and maybe you can be with your loved ones by July. I just want to tell Joe Biden. I mean, he we're at a point now, we just have to say, Biden really just needs to go Fauci himself. And it's not like... You have a choice in the matter. That's clear from the Biden speech last night. It's not like you're allowed to say, you know what? I just want to live my life. No, they they want to continue to meddle and control and poke and prod and be in charge. They don't want to give that up. They much prefer this power. They've got other things they have to use this for. They're not done with you. You don't have a you don't have a say in this, America. Joe Biden and the scientists think about this. They use the term the scientists unironically. I mean, they're being serious as if there's some group called the scientists that determine what policy is and there's no debate. There's no judgment calling it whatsoever. Meanwhile, Dr. Fauci now has to admit, yeah, we don't actually have the science on this, but we're making judgment calls. But Biden goes up and gives a speech about the scientists all say. Really? What about the thousands of scientists that signed the Great Barrington Declaration that said that we should just do focus protection and that all of this is essentially kabuki theater? That's right. Virus kabuki theater. Thousands of scientists. They signed their name to it from places like, you know, Harvard Medical School and Cambridge University and places that actually usually get a lot of credibility on the left. Ignored. Ignored. Wow. The people in charge really think that they must be so smart, huh? Or maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe there's a deep insecurity at the fact that they pushed us into this madness and we were all now suffering the consequences that they didn't actually save us. They didn't protect us and they made things worse. I would argue that the lockdowners and the Fauciites made everything worse. And by taking this out of the hands of individuals to take their own precautions and making the go- make using the force of government, because that is what they did, use the force of government for universal quarantine measures which were understood in the medical community to be unthinkable and counterproductive for about a hundred years until 2020 to use the force of government to make us all for a mass quarantine of the healthy for months on end was known to be insane until what feels like about five minutes ago. And if you have any problem with that, you're the bad person. You're the wrong person. And they don't care that you can now point to the data. You can point to mask mandates. They, they don't even deal with the facts. The CDC says within the margin of error, mask mandates bring down case numbers within the margin of error. Did, was, was that really what we were led to believe? They had the CDC director say masks were more effective than the vaccine. That is, you know, he said it. That is a, a you know, a, roughly speaking, a quote. But that's what he said. I would even go so far as to say that this mask is more guaranteed to protect me than a vaccine. That was, I think, exactly what he said. That was Director Redfield of the CDC. The guy's a moron. These people are idiots. You think a mask gives you 90? Do you think if we were all wearing masks and that created 95 percent protection whenever you're wearing the mask? In fact, there's a very strong case to be made and they don't want to hear this, but it's true that people were actually more willing to be around other people and expose themselves to the virus because they figured, well, I'm wearing a mask. I'm taking precautions. Okay, you're taking precautions until you pull the mask down for a moment, you know, because it's a little uncomfortable. You want to scratch something and you know there's there's virus flowing in the air, goes into your nostrils, goes into your mouth. Now you're infected. You put your mask back up though, and oh I'm really protected. I'm really protecting myself. I mean go go look at the numbers of uh frontline healthcare workers. I know they're exposed to more of the virus, but you know that it's not 95% effective to be wearing a cloth mask even in a clinical setting because hundreds of thousands of doctors and nurses got infected. They're wearing PPE. You just all you have to do is think this through and all these arguments they make just falls apart. Now they pretend, well, it's worth it for 1%, really? The dehumanizing, uncomfortable effect of Mass mask policy and what that does to our psychology as a nation and to us as people is worth it, even though I'm telling you that there, Fauci himself said that there were dangers for masks in the early days. There were people. The head of uh, infectious disease at the government level in Sweden was saying people are going to think that they're safer because they wear a mask and they're actually going to expose themselves more. So we shouldn't convince people. There was all this. This has all been forgotten now. Listen to them. Or else, Biden says. Here he is on you better be vigilant, which means
2: do whatever I say or else. Play two. Getting back to normal depends on national unity. And national unity isn't just how politics and politicians vote in Washington, what the loudest voices say on cable or online. Unity is what we do together as fellow Americans, because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress. This is not the time to let up. Just as we were emerging from a dark winter into a hopeful spring and summer is not the time to not stick with the rules. The rules.
1: The rules. The rules are arbitrary. The rules didn't work. The rules, they make them up as they please these are policies this is not science these are judgment calls this is not a mathematical formula Uh, you we either as a kind i know for a lot of you're in places where you feel like oh it's you know it's pretty normal around me yeah but you know air travel and train travel and on federal grounds federal buildings and a lot of private businesses, national chains, they're all just going to cling and cling and cling to those little little dirty masks we've all been forced to wear that we're sneezing in and coughing in and it's gross. Got to wear it all the time. Yeah? Just just ask somebody when when the next time someone gives you a hard time about it say, "Show me the show me the data on outdoor transmission of coronavirus in open air. Show me that data. Show me show me where those cases are." They'll say, oh, "I believe the science. Oh, I believe the
2: science."
1: They actually don't. This has become a religious belief for people that don't like to read. But nonetheless, whatever Fauci says goes. We'll reinstate restrictions. Oh, now you could say the federal government doesn't doesn't do this; the states do. It's the Democrat Party, folks. What Biden says, every blue state is going to do. And even some of you red states, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas, really weak on this stuff. He's gotten a little better recently, but not much. Some of those red states, highly disappointing. So it's not like you haven't suffered through this. too. If you live in a city, if you live in a densely populated part of the country, you've basically been put through this unless you, well, even in Florida, that's not even true. Even in Florida, Miami's got a lot of mask mandates. You know, I had somebody that I was talking to from 10 feet away in an outdoor kiosk tell me to put on a mask to talk to them from 10 feet away outside because it was Miami law. And I mean, and I feel badly for these people because what they're saying is moronic, but it's not always their fault.
2: We've got work to do to ensure that everyone has confidence in the safety and effectiveness of all three vaccines. So my message to you is this. Listen to Dr. Fauci, one of the most distinguished and trusted voices in the world. He's assured us the vaccines are safe. They underwent rigorous scientific review. I know they're safe. Vice President Harris and I know they're safe. That's why we got the vaccine publicly in front of cameras. So for the world to see. So you could see us do it. The first lady and the second gentleman also got vaccinated. Talk to your family, friends, your neighbors, the people you know best who have gotten the vaccine. We need everyone to get vaccinated. We need everyone to get vaccinated?
1: Does that mean children? They think the kids who are at effectively zero risk from this disease need to get vaccinated? Really? Is that going to be a condition of opening schools? And I'm sorry, I am not willing to forget the fact that Kamala and Joe were willing to spend uh, real time during the campaign casting doubt on the safety of the vaccine because it was useful for attacking Trump. Does the vaccine work? Well, you know, you can't really trust Trump and uh, it's his it's his uh, FDA that's approving it. So. That created a lot of mistrust. Now they're they're acting like they're heroes for cleaning up a mess that in part they made by casting real aspersions on the safety of the vaccine in the first place. That came from Kamala. That came from Joe Biden, because that's how ruthless these Democrat politicians are. That's how ruthless they are. Whatever they had to say. And don't ever forget that so much of the media around this was just a function of whatever's necessary to defeat Donald Trump. Whatever they had to say about the vaccine, about the virus, about everything around it, lockdowns, as long as it was useful in their quest to beat Donald Trump, they were on board. They were willing to do it. And it's it's something that I will not uh, I will not let go. I will I will not forget that. And I just think it's it's amazing. They they hold up Fauci. I mean, he's become this this uh This symbol, really, this this emblem of the of great scientific, uh, you know, great scientific knowledge. What exactly has he done? What what is the the basis for thinking this guy has great judgment or is even a genius in his field? He's a bureaucrat who's been going around releasing, uh, you know, public safety announcements about the flu for the last twenty years and saying, "Wash your hands." Great, wow, I'm impressed. And now we find out and they just forget this, that hand washing probably does very little. I'm not saying it's irrelevant. Lots of little things can help. But they can't stop this. And it's not as though if they constantly uh, nag us about all this, we're going to be so much better protected. But go back and, and see what Fauci was saying about HIV in the 80s and the way that he was terrifying people and the misinformation that he was spreading. If this guy actually worked in, in the private sector and there was any accountability for what he, did, or what he had done, um, he would have lost his job. But there isn't any accountability. He's a bureaucrat. This guy is not impressive. He, Biden holds up Fauci like how could anybody argue with him? Fauci, 12 months ago, scoffed at the idea of masks as an effective public health measure, measure as Fauci calls it, for stopping this virus. What, what did we learn What do we learn after that? They say, Oh, well, we didn't know about asymptomatic case spread. Okay. Well, we thought the virus was substantially more lethal when Fauci said that than it actually ended up being. And it was a question of should you wear a mask as a means of stopping the spread of the virus? Is it good protection for you? Does it stop you from infecting other people? And Fauci was like, nah, doesn't really, doesn't really work. It's not really worth it for the public, which is, by the way, the correct answer. They can pretend now like, oh, no, there are all these revelations and we had a mannequin and the mannequin did a spray through a thing. And They're, they're telling you that the scientific consensus, if you believe the scientific consensus, of twelve months ago, that was the scientific consensus on this issue in the West for a hundred years. If you believe that, you're a conspiracy nut, and you don't believe science. That's where we are. That's that is just a straight recitation of objective reality. As you can tell, I, I am very angry about this. They've destroyed lives, friends. We had the most overdoses from uh, from drugs in this country in our history last year, over eighty thousand, and that's just an indicator it's like looking at homicides in a city as an indicator of overall crime there's a lot of drug abuse spousal abuse child abuse uh self-harm deep psychological depression you know people that don't understand mental health issues can't uh, can't uh, can have an appreciation for this when you're in a mental health crisis it, it is as painful and awful as any physical crisis can be for you i mean it's it's a true prison of of terror and fear and awfulness. And we did that to people with our policies in this country because of people like Fauci. We blocked them off from human contact. We blocked them off from loved ones. And lots of people died of the virus anyway, weren't allowed to see their loved ones, weren't allowed to have any time with them at the end because, you know, Dr. Fauci is is king of the world. Uh, People should be deeply embarrassed about the cowardice really the the character and ethical cowardice that they showed by just handing over all their critical faculties to government bureaucrats. That is what this is. There was another way. They can ignore it as much as they want. They can pretend that there wasn't. But there was, in fact, another way. And some people in some places were able to take it. I bring you Governor Ron DeSantis, great state of Florida, play thirteen
3: the thing i hear um i was just talking to a friend of mine who was in dc and he's like you know the difference between florida and dc is like it's dead it's totally dead uh here people are living life they're happier uh and things are you just, just want to be here uh compared to that and and i think that that has an effect far beyond these nursing homes in there but i think it's most acute in the nursing home. so god bless those nursing home residents they've been through an awful lot over the past year and but, yes, we got to do whatever we can to bring fulfillment to them. So if any of those facilities have any need for the state to help them out on any of that, uh, we're ready, willing and able. We were the first with the testing. We were the first with the protections against the discharges in the facilities first with the vaccines. Um, and we want to be first to help them reach the fulfillment that they need.
1: There's so much about the Florida model that needs a lot more attention, but the media won't do it because they were all parts of the of the stupidity, the fraud and the panic. Uh, there, there has always been this this false, this false argument that was made during the pandemic, for the last twelve months, by Democrats, by lockdowners, and by some Republicans too. I, by no means do I under, do I think that this is only uh, Democrats, but it was you know really. If you look at the data, you show Democrats are like I'm going to mask up forever. A lot of them, they're crazy. I mean, they've completely lost all sense of of proportion and reality. Uh, some of them, not all of them, but but um, well, when you look at this, the the false argument that was always presented was. You either obey Fauciism like he is your God king and there can be no questioning or you're out there, you know, spraying virus in people's faces, virus denier, vax denier, no science, flat earth. You know, this was a total caricature the whole time, a complete and utter fraud. This doesn't this. This is not the the opposite of what they're saying. Rather, this is not the uh, opposition to what they were saying. It's a caricature. Of the opposition was uh, it would it was possible to do focus protection in nursing homes and to allow businesses to continue to operate, to continue to stay open, to allow people to be out. I mean, at the beginning of, the, of this, folks, they were telling people you shouldn't go out into public parks. You remember they were shutting down playgrounds, the experts they were arresting people. You know, they forget about all this now. And they don't want to talk about it because it just shows how crappy their judgment is and how full of it they were, because they were saying that was about the signs, too. I mean, this is like the the, the Democrats with covid are like a stockbroker who loses you money every time you give him money to invest on your behalf. You know, hey, I'm your financial advisor. You keep losing money. Oh, don't worry about this. This idea if you I'm an expert, this idea is going to make you the money. You say, hold on a second. Your last five ideas, I've, I've lost everything. Why am I going to, oh, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? I'm the expert. I'm the expert. Listen to me or else. Listen to me or, or, or you're going to miss out on this big bull market. A lot of Democrats say, all right, here you go. Papa needs a new pair of shoes. You know, let's roll the dice. Let's go for it. It's absurd. The difference here was whether we allowed for individual localized improvisation, individual choice, and... Uh, And actually paid attention to what states were 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 functioning well and what states were not under different um, approaches to the virus. Look at California. Look at Florida. Florida is better on all of them. All of the numbers, all of the metrics. California was an extreme lockdown state. Florida allowed for a continuation of life. There were still restrictions. There was even still indoor masking. Which, quite honestly, if I were in charge, I mean, I think that a government indoor mask mandate is is. Not supported by the data that actually you look at restrictions and, and what what worked and mask mandates and different. I mean, we have the data from the CDC on this. Um, but you know, I, I think in some ways, even even Florida got pushed into more than it really should have had to do. But at least it was sane. We were shutting down restaurants. We shut down outdoor dining in California. Think about that. You shut down outdoor dining. What? They shut down schools. Why it's not only that children are at entirely acceptable risk from this virus, which means almost no risk. They don't spread it to adults and we don't even really know why, but it's very hard for adults to get this from children. And they still have schools shut down. Uh, this is a fight that we, we cannot we cannot relent. We cannot let them get away with this. Uh, I know that they think that they're smart. I know the lockdowners, the left, the Democrats, the corporate media believe so strongly they listen to the science. These are people without intellectual curiosity or intellectual honesty, who have all become invested in this for reasons that have nothing to do with actually stopping the virus or saving lots of lives as much as they may pretend otherwise. This is about vanity and virtue signaling and the refusal, the refusal to accept the fact that they were unwilling to take a country first approach to dealing with this virus in 2020 because the first priority of Democrats in 2020 was not beating covid. It was beating Donald Trump.
3: Well absolutely and I think at the end of the day not only her comments but certainly comments that the administration has made over the last several days. I think you have to say that the crisis that we currently see is the Biden plan is what they had in mind all along whether they thought that they would get the numbers as quickly as they they have. Uh, is up for question, but I think this is their plan. Uh, but when she talks about inhumane or humane policy, that there's pent up demand, uh, I vehemently disagree with that. I think it's the most humane, inhumane uh, message that you can give and you can sell all of these individuals a lie. And what do I mean by that? We know that the vast majority of these folks do not uh, qualify for asylum. And so they are eventually going to have to be deported or leave the country and go back to their uh, to their countries of origin. They know that the Biden administration knows that. So they are selling these individuals a lie, encouraging them uh, to put themselves in the hands of smugglers and traffickers. And so uh, my opinion is that is the most inhumane message and inhumane policy that you can deliver.
1: So Chad Wolf, who was uh, acting DHS chief uh, for a while, saying here that this the border crisis is the Biden plan, he's right about that. But there's a part of this that I would add. uh, There's a part of this that I think he's honestly not seeing correctly. And that is uh, that the Biden plan is actually for the. Yes, it's to pretend that they're going to get asylum. It's to tell people, come here, you'll get asylum. But they're going to stay. They're not going to get deported. That's the part of this that I think Chad is actually not seeing. They're not going to get deported. (laughs) That's the whole point. The, the illegal immigrants who are coming to the country right now, and remember, their first act on U.S. soil, literally on U.S. soil, is the illegal crossing, which is a violation of U.S. law. It's a form of trespassing. It's a form of violating U.S. national sovereignty. That's the first thing that they do. And then they've been coached, because the word has been out for a long time about this, to claim defensive asylum or secondary asylum which is essentially throwing themselves on the mercy of the United States and saying, oh, I I know that I shouldn't have come like this, but I'm just desperate. If I go back to my home country, I'm going to be killed by, you know, the the secret police or something. That's why we have this so that if you were fleeing the Soviet Union and you happen to get to, you know, the the shores of 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 New York or, you know, you made your way to the, the shores of Florida or wherever. And you say, "Okay, I know I didn't come through your legal process, but. You guys got to give me a chance, because if I actually get sent back to my home country, I'm going to be killed. These are Central American migrants who are coming largely. It's not all from Central America. And they're saying uh, I want to be. in." I mean, their real motivation is I want to be in America because it's better wages, better infrastructure, better government and a better system. That's just called being an immigrant. Right. They want to be immigrants. And I do not I have, I have no blame or disdain or, you know, I, I understand that impulse. You know, life is not fair. Being born in a country that is a dysfunctional mess versus being born in America—that is an unfair disparity that human beings are, are going through all over the world every day. Right? Being born in North Korea is worse than being born in, you know, Oklahoma City. Okay, it is worse. We understand this, and unfortunately, we can't make this entirely fair because then the country that is better is going to cease to be a country. If you no longer have control over your borders, you don't really have a country anymore. We all understand how that works. If you don't, just think about okay, go tell a country of, you know, the size of the Netherlands that they need to take in 5 million, you know, 5 million immigrants from from Syria, Afghanistan, uh, you know, Libya, you know, you name it, countries that have had wars in recent years and that are having terrible problems. And then tell those people in in the Netherlands well your country's going to be the same you're just taking in immigrants. Well yeah but we're we're actually changing the character of the nation because we're changing the people of this nation dramatically in a transformational way that does not allow for the kinds of um uh you know the, the kinds of processes that bring people into a feeling of community in the same nation over time. Right we're supposed to have that. That's supposed to be a, a part of all of this. And uh, yet they don't really talk about this they don't have that as even a discussion point anymore it's allow for mass migration into your country or else you are being unfair allow for mass migration in the country or else you're a bad person actually you're you're a racist there are a lot of countries that don't allow people to just show up and and become permanent citizens with voting rights and and a uh, the ability to to demand resources from the state right we we're supposed to have a a process in place, but the Democrats, the Biden administration is intentionally undermining it. We have an open border, friends. That's what this is. Press Secretary smites Fox host that dissed diversity in the U.S. military. You might be wondering, why is Buck reading a headline from the uh, comments or or from, from a, a blog post at slate.com or... HuffPost or one of these other lunatic left wing, uh, you know, garbage heaps. But no, that's actually from defense.gov. That's actually on a government news website. Uh, we have to get into this right now. We've got our friend Kurt Schlichter joining us. He spent decades in the United States military, still active in the Army Reserve. And uh, he's a senior columnist at townhall.com. You should always look for his work. Kurt, great to see you again. So here, here's the at the heart of this. The United States military, quote, is the greatest the world has ever seen because of its diversity. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said during a news briefing, Kirby addressed this because a Fox cable host uh, used his show to denigrate the contributions of women in the military and to say the Chinese military is catching up to the U.S. military because it does not allow women to serve the percentage in the United States does. I want to be very clear up front, Kirby said diversity of our military is one of our greatest strengths I've seen it for myself in long months at sea in the combat waged by troops in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I've seen it right. Yada, yada, yada. OK. Um, first of all, why is a an employee of the of the DOD uh, press uh, Pentagon press secretary John Kirby attacking uh, Tucker Carlson? Like, why spend his time doing that? Is, is he a pundit? Oh, well, is- because
0: it's what is. It's because what it's his masters want done. Look, if, if, if Donald Trump's people had did it, this would have been the greatest assault on free speech in the history of assault on free speech. It would have been uh, literally violence. I'd be literally shaking. You'd be literally shaking. The whole world would be literally shaking. But remember, Buck, there are no rules. There's just power. And unfortunately, they have it now, and they're using their power to neuter the American military. The thing is, Tucker called them on it. He told the truth, and they don't want to hear it. Now, to actually discuss this, I have to put on my trial lawyer hat because this is a little bit of sleight of hand argument wise. Tucker said, hey, the American military is an unserious organization because we're focusing on things like maternity flight suits and transsexual surgery. This is indisputably true. The Chinese are focusing on killing Americans, which is also indisputably true. Now, they don't want to talk about that because it's indisputably true. So what they want to do is lie and pretend that Tucker is running down the contributions of women in the military. That is, again, a lie, and it's a lie told by people who have failed to win a war in the last 20 years. I think that's a much bigger issue um, than anything else.
1: Now, how how does social justice, I mean, the social justice focus that the Pentagon brass have... You know, what are the ways in which I mean you mentioned like maternity flight suits? I mean, essentially, what is the you know, Tucker was making the argument as as he admit he's he's not somebody who's served in the military, but he's obviously in contact with a lot of people who are and he's a commentator. And that's what he's doing. He's sharing his his view on what's happening. I also think that, you know, this is a fascinating uh, uh, new standard where the United States military now, when it comes to Tucker Carlson, if you didn't serve, you're not allowed to have opinions on it, right? I mean, it's supported by tax dollars. It yeah, defends all of us. But but what is the case in your mind that that Tucker is making? I mean, what do we need to be aware of
0: uh, Well, Tucker is accurately pointing out that our military is concerned with social justice nonsense because that's what it is. And not winning wars. Okay, let's let's review the last 20 years. And I think this is a significant point. I made it on Twitter last night, and uh, most of leftist Twitter collectively wet itself. Uh, I pointed out that Tucker has won as many wars as our present military leadership has in the last two decades. But Tucker has actually lost fewer wars than our present military de- uh, leadership has in the last two decades. And they don't want you to talk about that. The American military is not ready to fight China. Instead, it's chasing its tail with uh, nonsense about, quote unquote, diversity, which I want to come back to in a second. And all this social justice garbage, because that's what it is. Let me tell you what diversity is in the military. Diversity is everybody wearing camouflage. Okay, it shouldn't be an issue. Who you are shouldn't matter. Now, capabilities do matter. And there are realities of uh, differences between men and women that need to be taken into account and need to be discussed. Women and men are different. It doesn't doesn't say anything bad about women. And I resent the implication that somehow pointing out that a 100-pound woman is going to have trouble carrying a 100-pound backpack is somehow an attack on her patriotism. Let me tell you, Buck, when I was a platoon leader in Desert Storm, uh, I, I ran a heavily armed car wash. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if I'm allowed to speak since I wasn't in Delta Force, but we'll, we'll just assume I, 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 I fit within the rules of who can talk about the military for now. Uh, when I was there, I had a, a female squad leader who had a photosensitive skin disease, which she hid. Now, that's a big problem when you're in the desert, but she hid it because she wanted to be with her troops. I had to send her home. Her heart unquestioned, her patriotism, Unquestioned. Her courage, unquestioned. And no one's questioning any of that. And it's a lie to get us talking about that. Instead of the reality that we are cutting we are trading combat readiness for political correctness. That is indisputable. Tell me we're not slamming destroyers into cargo ships. We are. Tell me we're not. Uh, 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 driving pilots out of the air force, we are tell me all american uh brigade combat teams are ready to deploy. they aren't
1: now. there was a story uh, that That's I saw as well this week, Kurt, that was a a war game exercise. I'm sure you saw this too about how it would go I right did. now if the u s had to had to fight a a straight up <laughs> force on force war against China, not yeah. a cyber war, a you know guns going boom boom war. And it didn't come out well for the U.S.
0: No, it, it, it didn't. Uh, what, and they don't want to talk about that. The simple fact is the Chinese have built up their military. We have weakened ours. We have weakened ours because we have gotten away from the basics of uh, military leadership and military culture. I, I, I consider uh, the, the, the fact that we have not built up our Navy to be a critical fact. I think a worse fact. America is that we have not demanded that the officer corps focus on war fighting instead of this political correct garbage I mean we've got Raytheon's own Lloyd Austin is now the uh, you know secretary of defense and his big thing is making sure everybody thinks exactly the same way just like Joe Biden well to the extent Joe Biden thinks and isn't told what he thinks uh, and, and, and rooting out conservative people within the military they call them extremists that's another lie But uh, what the military should be doing is preparing to deter our enemies or defeat them in high-intensity combat. It is not ready to do so. This failure of leadership – and I'm terrified of this, Buck – this failure of leadership is going to lead to a disastrous engagement where thousands of Americans die unnecessarily because they are not well-trained, not well-equipped, and not well-led. I am not happy to say this. I am not excited to say this. This makes me sick to my stomach. And you know what also tears me up? After 27 years in the military, and I loved it, I no longer recommend people join the military. Somebody says, should I join the military? I'm like, stop. You need to really think, you know, if you do, that's great. Do I think the military is a uh, organization that's going to uh, uh, treat you correctly? No, I, don't, I do not think it is.
1: How did this, and we're talking to Kurt Schlichter, he's a senior columnist at Town Hall, and an Army veteran. Uh, so, Kurt, how did we get to this point in your estimation where, where you're now saying this? I mean, this has got to be, for somebody who spent over two decades serving, uh, this has got to be something that's tough for you to say, and I know there are others, I've even talked to you with others who are military okay. present where we were discussing this, who feel very much the same way. I'm sure you're talking to guys who are on the inside, guys and gals who are on the inside of, of the DOD, who feel this way. How did we get to this point, and how do we get out of it?
0: Well, look, Buck. A commander, uh, troops do what commanders check, And in the Obama administration, they made it very clear that you needed to toe a liberal line, and they promoted liberal generals. And people down the line understood that, and that's what they enforced. So now you see these, uh, uh, now you see these bizarre reading lists, you know, for, uh, uh, for, for of all these uh, uh, commanders, and it's all full of this uh, uh, racist garbage. Oh, you know, like, and, like, So they're doing anti, the,
1: anti-racism anti uh, training for four-star generals yeah. is now necessary. That's yeah, it,
0: yeah, it's just garbage. And they all do it. And why did they do it? Because that's what was rewarded in the Obama administration. Why didn't Trump do anything about it? Because, unfortunately, like many civilians, he, he was impressed by the military and deferred to the generals and didn't go in and change it. This could change tomorrow. This could change in a heartbeat. You need a conservative president calls in the chairman of the joint chiefs and says here's how it's going to be and if it isn't i'm firing you and then i'm going to fire everybody in the chain of command and i'm going to retire you or send you to Nome, Alaska, to hand out volleyball and you fu- you put a couple figurative heads on pipes and the military will conform that's the thing that's why it's vulnerable it is a, a, a military conforms to the vision of its leaders. If the vision of the leaders is social justice nonsense, then that's what the military is going to be. If it if it's combat readiness, it will come back. So I'm hoping we get a president who is quite willing to demand that we have a war fighting organization and fire generals until he gets one. And believe me, you put a few you, you kick a few of these guys out and put them to pasture. the rest of the generals will conform.
1: Kurt Schlichter, everybody. Go to townhall.com for his latest column. Follow him on social. Kurt, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks, man. And what we know is that uh, we need a federal solution. Um, Guns don't respect state borders. In New York state, 75 percent of the guns that are used in crimes in that state are bought outside of New York in states with less strict gun laws where Criminals can buy a weapon without having to go through a background check. And so in order to protect all of America's children, uh, we need to pass universal background checks and close the Charleston loophole.
1: To protect the children. Notice how gun control is about protecting the children. Uh, as we know, a very small percentage of gun crime. I mean, every gun crime is, is horrible. Every homicide is a tragedy. And especially when it when it brings in innocent children in, into the situation, but they're going for the emotional appeal of, uh, appeal here, of course, of, of suggesting that this is going to protect kids. And so, if you have a problem with this, if you think that this is not a an in a, in a good way going forward, if you don't agree with this, you are the problem, right? You don't want to protect children. That's what they're saying. That's the way that the emotional manipulation here at the hands of Democrats works. But I, I just want to say that they, they're they pushing these things right now as quickly as they can because they know that as we see more of this Biden administration, the incompetence, the enormous spending, the payoffs of special interests, the lack of accountability for the, for the dumbass lockdown policies, all these things, people are going to get increasingly tired of being told what to do. And they're going to get tired of the Biden administration using a crisis mentality. And when I say the administration, I mean the whole Democrat party right now, the Democrat party is really, it feels flush with power. I mean, they feel like they're just are they're, they're in the best position they've been in in 10 years and they're going for it and they want to push gun control. Now we're not out of the pandemic. We still have these restrictions and they are telling you that they're going to save lives by improving background checks I mean, really, this is what the House bill that, that has been passed in this says that they're going to they're going to save lives by making it slightly more annoying for people to legally purchase firearms. You know what this guy uh, left out of this, you know, uh, Senator Murphy left out of this when he talks about a federal response to gun violence. Uh, what he left out of it is that most of the guns when they're when they're talking about the guns that are coming into states that are being used in crimes from out of the state. Uh, yeah, guess what? That's illegal. These are illegal gun sales. So their, their response to illegal gun sales is to pass another law that makes it harder for there to be legal gun sales or more annoying or more tedious or, or slower or whatever it may be. Their, their idea to, sl- to stop gun violence is to make law-abiding gun transactions more onerous. This is, this is always the left's mentality on this. But remember... Whenever they want to get something done, you know,
2: it's, it's, it's about about the, the children.
1: Right, here's Nancy Pelosi, play 15.
4: Today on the floor, we go to that fourth place, a safe environment in which our children can thrive by passing the background check legislation. It's hard to imagine legislation being more popular than the rescue plan, 75%, whatever. This legislation, background checks, closer to 90 percent bipartisan support across the country, receiving the support of gun owners, hunters and the rest. They've all had to do a background check. Why shouldn't others? Our chairman of the task force, Mike Thompson, is, is a hunter, is a veteran and is a gun owner. And he has had, again, protective of the First Amendment rights of gun owners, but also protective of the survival of our children.
5: <laughs> Nancy Pelosi,
1: the first amendment rights of gun owners. I just want to did you hear that?
5: Hey, I have a big I have a big believer in
1: in the first amendment rights to bear arms. Um, Nancy, I got news for you. I mean this is what I say these Democrats they they have never actually they've never read nor understood the constitution. I mean, some parts of it have been spoon-fed to them, that they know some of the phrases that we all learn in grammar school about it or whatever, you know. But, you know, Nancy, this is like Nancy Pelosi.
2: I really believe in the Constitution
1: when it says four, four score and, and you know. Yeah, no, no, wrong speech, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. The Constitution's not a speech, of course, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has no idea what the heck is going on when it comes to actually reducing violence or dealing with criminality in this country. Because her party was largely favorable to the massive surge of violence and criminality that happened as a result of the BLM movement and the Ferguson effect on police officers where they realize, OK, we're not going to be supported. We're not going to do our jobs as much. That results in more people getting killed. It happened in in I think it was 47 of 50 of the biggest cities in the country last year had 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 two digit increases at least some of them had more like a 50 to 100 percent increase but had at least a double-digit increase in shootings and homicides in a pandemic year when there are far fewer people on the street. But really, the the, the gun control issue, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to do things that they know there'll be no bipartisan support on because they're going to throw all this at the Republicans. They're going to claim obstruction all the time. And then what will happen is on one of these issues, and I believe it will be amnesty, but on one of these issues, they're going to say this is we've tried and tried. They haven't actually tried at all. They just say, do what we say or else to the Republicans. But they're going to then claim we've tried to meet them halfway, which is a lie. Uh, but we've tried to meet them halfway. They won't do it. So we have no choice but to obliterate their obstructionism by eliminating the filibuster. And once they do that on one issue, understand, then it's open season. Right. Then they're going to go for it on on every issue. And this is why. The Democrats are picking these things where they know that they they want it. They know they're not going to get any bipartisan support on it whatsoever from the Republicans. And they're going to stack all these up so that one of them will be the issue. And I believe I could be wrong. I believe it will be um, amnesty. They're just going to break the dam and say our way or the highway, you know, deal with it, Republicans. I mean, this gun control thing, background checks there's no reason to believe that even if the Democrats got what they want, it would save even a single life, but it will annoy a lot of people. And it does show the incrementalist approach to restricting not your first amendment. Right. Nancy, your second amendment. Right. Cuomo in some increasingly hot water. The governor of New York now has more allegations against him. Six last time I counted and they're getting more serious. Uh, some of them are even more serious involve actual uh, unwanted touching, groping allegations out there. And then there's also the nursing home scandal, which I still think is by far the biggest problem that he has. But the Democrats don't want to focus on that one, of course, now that it's the media. Our friend Pedro Gonzalez is with us now, assistant editor at American Greatness. Pedro, thanks so much.
6: Oh, Always a pleasure to be here. So
1: well, what you've got a piece out on the Cuomo situation. Tell us how, how you're seeing it, because I will say people that I know who understand New York uh, pretty well, New York politics well, are saying that they're actually now crossing over into maybe he's not going to politically survive this.
6: Right. So that article was published in the national interest. And the thesis is this, that whether or not there are people, mainly Democrats and leftists who really do find, uh, sexual harassment, a greater crime than 15,000 senior citizens dead, followed by an abusive cover um, whether or not, that is actually the 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 driving motive for this these calls for resignation or not still i think reveals how how messed up the world view of these people are so the the nursing home thing and the cover-up that predates the sexual harassment stuff but for the most part it it was it looked like cuomo was going to emerge out of this whole thing unscathed like he, he was downplaying it in the media he had basically, he didn't apologize for it. He kind of just said, uh, I apologize for your ignorance of like of my greatness and of of what I was doing. Uh, if I didn't communicate as well as I should, it's because I'm so busy being a great governor. So, you know, cut me some slack. And, and you know, it looked OK. And then you have these allegations, allegations. He, he asked for a kiss at a wedding, you know. Uh, So you you may or may not find that inappropriate, but that that is a headline at The New York Times. Governor Cuomo, single man, asked for a kiss at a wedding. And it was only around the time that these these women started coming forward and said, Cuomo tried to kiss me or Cuomo did this, that then you started to have top Democrats withdrawing their support from him saying, we want you gone. Uh, And oh, and also the nursing home thing was not okay. But it was not until the Me Too stuff that Cuomo started to really look like he was in trouble. So, I guess what I'm saying is that it shows that even the people who don't really believe the the, the you know the kiss me allegations are that big of a deal, uh, they think and, and they want him gone for other reasons. Either you know like because Cuomo seems to have a lot of friction between him and the and Democratic Party in general. But they still waited for those allegations, and that I think that shows how how deranged. Uh, this worldview is and how everyone is behold, like they're all slaves to it. You're not allowed to criticize somebody like Cuomo uh, until something like Me Too happens. And only then can you, oh, by the way, it wasn't okay that you uh, killed or responsible for the deaths of 15,000 senior citizens.
1: Now, what do you think ends up happening here, Pedro? I mean, where do you see this going? Because it feels like the Democrats have all of a sudden turned on him uh, on the issue of the, you know, unwanted kiss or touch, or, you know, the, and the media, but they're, they're still sort of protecting him on the nursing home thing, even though Leticia James, right. the attorney general for the state of New York, has, has put out some information already suggesting that there was a cover up.
6: Right. Well, I think it's not beyond the pale to say that he's going to survive this because people seem to survive almost. On- Almost anything these days, especially Democrats. If you're on the left, your chances of of survival in a in a situation like this are much higher than they would be for, I think, a Republican. But it does seem to be that the again the 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 sexual uh, harassment allegations seem to have provided a pretense for not just for getting rid of him to save face for the nursing home thing, which is really, like you said, like that is the true crime. But there's also a lot of other, uh, I guess, there's a lot of other backstory to this. It seems like a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, have a bone to pick with Cuomo. And this is, they feel their chance to finally do something against him. Uh, and there's, there's so many other reasons um, uh, to, 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 you know, to criticize him. Uh, under Cuomo, you also saw violent crime uh, go up. Even though, like, Democrats were the ones pushing for eliminating uh, cash bail. And like you had Democrats and left wing uh, left wing bureaucrats in New York releasing looters almost as soon as they were caught. And so there are all these really actual valid criminal reasons to, to get rid of Cuomo. But again, everyone decided to wait until uh, the, the inappropriate behavior allegations came forward.
1: Pedro, you also are speaking to Pedro Gonzalez, assistant editor at American Greatness. Tell me about uh, switching gears here for a second. The uh, the DOJ investigation about Facebook and discrimination against hiring Americans. I feel like this doesn't this is not getting nearly enough attention. I mean, we talk about Facebook and big tech and these these companies that are actively suppressing conservatives. And that's certainly happening. But what is this with discriminating against hiring Americans in favor of hiring foreign nationals, especially given the, the immigration situation that's playing out right now? I feel like people should, uh, you know, at our southern border, people should know more about this.
6: Right. So the reason that this got buried, I think, is because the investigation, the news of it broke in December. So you what do you have last year? You have riots and rallies, a contested election. You have all these things that are distracting us from this, I think, huge story. And that story is that the Justice Department at the end of a uh, two year investigation found that Facebook actively, deliberately, discriminates in hiring against Americans in favor of foreign nationals. And uh, in that two-year span, they found more than 2,600 positions for which qualified, available American applicants were deliberately rejected, uh, which is against the law. Uh, And what the investigation found is, is that all of this is technically legal, that basically Facebook had complied with the immigration act of 1990 as it was written while actively discriminating against people. And obviously the DOJ says, well, no, it's not illegal. This is a violation of American civil rights. But Facebook's response has been, and their lawyers have been, well, we cheated fair and square and you can't blame us because we found ways to like, you know, uh, cheat within the rules without breaking any laws. And so there are so many different angles to this. And the big one, I think, is that you often hear republicans and democrats say you know legal immigration is good you know whatever you we, we can quibble about illegal immigration uh but illegal immigration is just a, an unqualified good thing and what i think that the big takeaway from this investigation is is that the illegal immigration itself often acts as the legalized displacement of american workers and in the case of the, like facebook these uh so-called high-skilled visas although that's really dubious uh you're actively displacing like the basically the american middle class professionals people that go to college and or or vocational training for like computer science you're discriminating against them you're, you're lit- quite literally uh killing the american middle and and it's all it's all legal i mean uh, again. The DOJ, you know, figured out that Facebook was was you know, doing things that are just totally unethical and that's why they're getting sued. But technically, uh, no laws were broken.
1: Now, Pedro, it feels like Republicans aren't even really sure what the argument is that they're trying. Sure, we, we, there's an open border. This is what Biden wants. But Democrats are executing on their plan here, which is to bring more and more legal immigrants into the country in preparation for a massive amnesty i don't I don't hear a unified voice from the Republican Party about what what we want to have happen and what should happen here
6: right no, right. and that's I think that's that shows how far we are from even getting to the issue of legal immigration because we're so we're still behind on the issue of illegal immigration, which I think is even easier to handle. It's just a no-brainer. but uh, I think one thing that is causing the GOP to approach this with trepidation is there is this rising notion of the big tent, which I mean, it's nothing new, but every, you know, every now and again, this, this becomes the talking point, the big tent. And basically you, I think you have a growing number of Republicans who are open to amnesty. Um, and not a few of these have, I think, unfortunately, uh, like the nod from Trump, like one of them is Maria Salazar in Florida. She she received an endorsement from Trump. Um, She's open to amnesty. She's for gun control. She's in favor of a carbon tax. And she recently accosted Stephen Miller, former Trump advisor, um, and and I guess got into an argument with him and said, you know, uh, like, I'm the new face of the GOP and you need to be more accepting of. Uh, basically of immigrants because you know uh, we we have just as much of a right to be in this party as anybody else which i mean that's true but of course it's, it's basically moral blackmail you know to, to be uh against illegal immigration is basically to hate hispanics which is just phenomenally stupid but that's that's the kind of argument that maria salazar was deploying and then i think what's really telling about how how messed up the gop is right now is that in texas uh what has Governor Greg Abbott been doing about illegal immigration. Well, it's not really clear. But yesterday he released a statement against Gab, uh, a social media network, that the Texas GOP has an official account on calling the platform and by extension his own party and every single Republican voter in Texas on the platform anti-Semitic. And and like the vice chair of Texas, uh, of the Texas GOP, your name's Kat Parks, he's also been talking about uh, the big tent and kind of like hinting at, well, we need to be we need to soften up on immigration so that we don't alienate voters. And this is just like the absolute tragic comedy state of the GOP at the moment.
1: Talking to our friend Pedro Gonzalez at American Greatness, go to AmericanGreatness.com for his latest piece. Pedro, always appreciate uh, appreciate your perspective, man. Thanks so much for joining.
6: Oh, always a great time. Thank you.
4: Well, I think there's been a lot of confusion about what's been happening at the border um, as it relates to um, people who are coming across um, and what happens uh, when they come across. And I know Governor Abbott down in Texas has uh, has uh, expressed some of his concerns, and many of those have not been based in facts. So let me go through a few of those because I know we're all interested in facts around here. Uh, one. Uh, Governor Abbott has referred to what's happening at the border as open borders, as us having an open borders policy. That is absolutely incorrect. Uh, The border is not open. The vast majority of individuals uh, apprehended or encountered at the border continue to be denied entry and are returned under, under Title 42, as we've already mentioned. Uh, Also, he has suggested that uh, we are not vaccinating CBP officers. Uh, Again, we like to deal with facts around here. There's no higher priority than the health and safety of our federal workforce. And the Department of Homeland Security and CBP has been clear that uh, currently more than 64,000 frontline DHS employees, including members of U.S. Border Patrol, have received a vaccination.
1: Wait, so 64,000 people in DHS... What percentage I, I just since she's going to be misnumbers here, I want to ask Saki bomb. OK, well, how many Border Patrol agents have actually been vaccinated? Because that's what the, that's what the issue was. It wasn't DHS, which is enormous, a giant bloated bureaucracy with hundreds of thousands of employees, uh, which uh, how many people? How many of them are in Border Patrol? You, know, you, you don't get to say, you know, if, if I told you, oh, uh, you know, no one in the Marine Corps is getting vaccinated these days. That's a problem. You said, well, there are a lot of people in the armed forces who have been vaccinated. I'd say, well, OK, but what about what I said? The Marine Corps, are they getting vaccinated at what rate? Right. And by the way, that's a totally uh, that's just an example situation. I'm obviously not saying that's what's going on. Um, but that's that's one way that Saki can avoid looking at the actual numbers here. But this notion of the open border um, we're seeing this happen. I mean, they're, they're gaslighting. And we see what's going on. If everybody arriving at the border was being turned back, do you think that people would be arriving in the border, the numbers? Or are we making up the videos that are circulating all over the Internet now of hundreds of people streaming and walking right across the Rio Grande? They're coming right in. Right? The Rio Grande, whatever. Uh, you know, they're coming right in. And... What, what is this we know why because they claim asylum and then they get released in the interior of the united states a majority of the people are being turned away what, what, ex- explain this to me i mean this is fascinating this is the white house press secretary they always claim they're about facts and truth if a majority of the people are being turned away okay give us the numbers give us the data what are they won't though they say, oh, no, you got to go somewhere else for that. We, we don't have that number right now. you got to go to DHS for that number. Well, then how can they know if a majority of the people, a vast majority, I think is what she said, are being turned away? They're lying to you, folks. They're lying to you because this is a, this is a problem right now. It's so obvious what's going on. And what is an open border? An open border is one in which people can just come with a, a belief that they'll be able to stay in a country. That's what's going on at our southern border right now. I mean, yeah, there's if you show up and they have you in the system as like a mass murderer or something, I'm sure there are some circumstances where they're not going to let you into the country uh, at all. But overwhelmingly, it seems if you just show up and say you're fleeing a violence, you have a credible fear, you're going to get to stay in. That's why they're all coming. If they were all being turned back, they would stop coming. We've already run this experiment. We've seen how this plays out. But also they won't they won't even admit that it's a real crisis. Play 18.
4: Now, today, there are over 3,700
0: children, unaccompanied migrant children in Border Patrol custody. They're spending, on average, over 100 hours, four days in these facilities that are jail-like facilities not meant for children. So how can you say that's not a crisis?
4: Well, I think what uh, Ambassador Jacobson and Secretary uh, Mayorkas were conveying, and what I've conveyed, is it doesn't matter what you call it. It is an enormous challenge.
1: Well, then why not just admit that it's a crisis, right? It doesn't matter what you call it, but we won't call it the thing that it obviously is. This is a classic Democrat moment. And it's amazing that Jen Psaki is the White House press secretary. It honestly is. Really? I mean, look, there have been some Republican White House press secretaries, too, that I thought, you know, we're not very, we're not very competent of the job. But this goes to show you. But, you know, you just got to be up there and keep on spinning. Keep on spewing the nonsense. It does matter what you call it because the public's attention on this changes depending on what the description of the situation is. And she knows that, which is why she won't call it a crisis. We're not dumb. We understand what's going on here. We see what's actually happening here. So I just wish there would be a little bit more honesty from the Democrats. But we know that's not going to happen because now is their window. They view it as this is when they can get away. The American people, they, you know, the, the Democrats won this election. They did all these shenanigans. They convinced people that Trump you know, basically created the virus himself and was you know, they, they had all this stuff, all these lies, all these promises. Now is when they think they can get away with all the progressive insanity, because within within, uh, you know, six to nine months of now, we're going to see the results and say, oh, my God just like we saw under the Obama administration, the Democrats are actually bad at governance. It is time for the voice of Gad. That's right. Our friend Gad Saad is with us now. He is the author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. Gad, good to to talk to you again.
5: Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me,
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a time when it, it seems that ideas killing common sense, it's happening more now than ever before. We're getting rid of cartoons. We're pretending that there's no... Real biological difference between men and women that this doesn't even matter in sports or in military combat roles that uh, we, we it just there's all this out there that people that believe there is a, such a thing as common sense would have to say this is contrary to that. What is going on?
5: Right. So the general idea is that there there's a bunch of idea pathogens that were spawned on university campuses maybe 40 50 years ago each of which eradicates part of our edifices of reason and so that's exactly what i explained in the parasitic mind i basically argue that very much the way we today have the COVID pandemic we've had a raging pandemic of the human mind whereby these parasitic ideas have completely removed our capacity to recognize that there's such a thing as the sun above us, that there's left, right, down, up, down, that there's such a thing as women menstruating. And so each of these dreadful departures from common sense comes from a different idea pathogen. So maybe I can discuss a few if you'd like. So postmodernism, for example, is Arguably, the granddaddy of all idea pathogens, because it purports that there are no universal truth, there's no objectivity. We are completely shackled by our personal biases. Where does this
1: come from? I mean, give us a little. For a lot of folks, we'll, we'll hear the term postmodernism, which even a, as a term, it sounds kind of bizarre. What what is modern and what is post? Like, I mean, how, you know, where where do we put this in the in the uh, timeline of the history of ideas? So, just to give us a little sense of where does this come from.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the original famous postmodernists were French intellectuals so Jacques Derrida, uh, Jacques Lacan, Michel Foucault. And in their in each in their own way, they wanted to contextualize truth within some relativistic framework. Right. So uh, Jacques Derrida argued that, you know, language creates reality. And therefore, this is what he called deconstructionism. You deconstruct. Labels and language because that's what creates reality. There's you know, there's no Reality outside of the language that is used to describe reality and so This kind of framework might be appropriate when you're, you know, studying some literary narrative or some art movement But it becomes problematic when it becomes an epistemology, right? The scientific method is liberating and is the grand epistemological tool that we use precisely because it offers us a very unbiased way by which we adjudicate hypotheses, right? Well, postmodernism comes along and serves as a form of intellectual terrorism, right? I always analogize the 9-11 hijackers who flew planes onto our buildings are akin to the postmodernists, except that the postmodernists, postmodernists are flying planes of BS into our edifices of reason. So it's complete nihilism, it's complete lunacy. So that would be one example of how you can get an idea pathogens. Do you want me to discuss other ones?
1: Yes, of course. Take us through the idea pathogens.
5: Right. So for example, take now uh, militant feminism. Well, it starts off as a laudable idea. Equity feminism is something that you and I would certainly agree with. Uh, men and women should not be somehow different under the law. Uh and of course, we would agree with that. The problem is that in the service of that laudable objective, Militant feminism comes along and it metamorphosizes the original good idea into the following. There are no innate sex differences between men and women. All sex differences must be due to the patriarchy, must be due to toxic masculinity, must be due to social constructivism, which itself is another idea pathogen. So we negate truth in the service of a laudable goal. And I argue that I could chew gum and walk at the same time. I could completely get behind the pursuit of laudable social justice goals without ever ceding a millimeter of truth in that service.
1: So what now are the other uh, idea pathogens that are driving us to this cancellation frenzy?
5: Uh, Well, so the cancellation frenzy comes from several mechanisms, one of which, so here I analogize, if you look at ISIS, for example, most of the people that ISIS killed were not non-muslims or as they say the kuffar, the infidels most of the people that they killed were fellow muslims who weren't muslim enough or at least according to them weren't puritanical enough in the pursuit of their faith well that's what happens with progressivism it it, it, i don't need to go after those being trump supporters i could turn inward at my progressive club and start canceling those who are not woke enough. So it's it's a reflex that you see in all sorts of totalitarian ideologies where it's I call it a form of orgiastic self-cannibalism the the proverbial you know snake eating its own tail. So I think this is what ends up happening with the cancel culture, right? JK Rowling, the the Harry Potter author, you would have thought she had the full bona fide credentials as a progressive. Well, guess what? Once she said the horrifying statement that only you know what do you mean women menstruate is not that what we call them women people went completely after her so the fact that you think that you are progressive or the fact that you think you're muslim won't protect you from the isis brigade or the woke brigade
1: now we're speaking to god Saad. he's the author of the parasitic mind how infectious ideas are killing common sense you know god uh there's there's another another thing that i always wonder about you know, virtue signaling and 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 a, and a kind of intellectual vanity seems to me to be the most uh, the most apparent reason for a lot of why people push this stuff, because it, it seems to me that you can have a very cheap source of of patting oneself on the back. Right? this is an <coughs> examples of this would be doing things like putting the black square on your Instagram. Right. It's like everyone yes. says, oh, you're a good person because you did this. It costs you nothing. You take no actual risk because of, of what the, the trends are at the time. Is that what's pushing this? Why do people want to do this? What, what, what yes. is the appeal? You know, Parasites sneak into your system, often, say, through your food, and so that's how they get there. But this is like people, it's almost like people are saying, no, give me the parasite.
5: Why? <laughs> so let me answer the first part about the virtue signaling. Uh, so in my book, I have a whole section where I contrast virtue, virtue signaling versus costly signaling. And the the distinction is actually rooted in a very profound evolutionary biological framework. So maybe I could take a minute or two to explain it. So if you look at the peacock's tail, his tail couldn't have evolved through natural selection, because having a big tail makes it actually less likely that you will survive. So how could evolution have led to such a big tail, when it reduces the animal's survivability? Well, the answer to that is through a process of sexual selection. The peahen, the female, is choosing this male with the big tail because the tail serves as an honest signal. It's saying, look, despite the fact that I've got this burdensome tail that reduces my survivability, I'm still here, so you should be picking me as your optimal mate. So for a signal to be on. For a signal to be valuable, it must be handicapping. Therein lies the problem between virtue signaling and costly signaling. Most people put hashtag Je Charlie, which carries a zero risk. Try to speak out against the Saudi government while you are a blogger in Saudi Arabia. That's a costly signal. That's exactly what Raif Badawi did. He's been in prison now for six, seven years in Saudi Arabia because he dared criticize the Saudi government. So for most people they think that simply by engaging in that fatuous virtue signaling, it will get them the brownie points. But someone who understands evolutionary biology knows that they are utter frauds.
1: So it doesn't even provide them the same benefit, the, the level of benefit that they assume. Is that is that a, basically what you're telling? You? It's like if everybody in New York City puts up you know, hashtag double mask, which is something, for example, that drives me completely insane. I mean, I don't, you yeah. know, you and I could talk. We, we should actually talk a little bit about, about the science and the notion of the science as a thing that is that is true and factual and objectively measured when they actually mean policy judgment and and often arbitrary yes, right. decision making. But it, so if everyone writes double mask in New York City, I mean, aren't they showing each other that they're good people, even if it's not particularly valuable since it costs them nothing? Why not? Right. I mean, e- even if it's if it's just a, a quick dopamine hit of I'm part of the mob. Sure. You're not going to elevate yourself. But isn't being part of the crowd the whole point?
5: But as long as you, so what you're saying is true, as long as I can create the sterile echo chamber where every member of that echo chamber is equally duplicitous and fraudulent as I am. Right. But once we bring in uh dr Goodlooks, also known as gatsad to the mix then i'm going to smash you into oblivion because i realize that you're a fraud so this is why you need to regulate people's speech this is why gatsad becomes a pariah in academia because i am disrupting their sterile echo chambers why is this guy calling us out on our fraudulent behavior can't he just fall into line and also come up with a hashtag just reach charlie uh, by the way, that's one of the reasons why my mockery, not only is it very effective, but it causes great concern to many of my colleagues. Some of them end up unfollowing me because there is no greater, more powerful, persuasive strategy than to use satire to demonstrate that you're a complete charlatan.
1: We're speaking to Gad Saad, author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. God, I want to take a quick moment here, a quick beat. We're going to come back and, and ask you about... Uh, the infectious idea around the infection of COVID that people should just listen to Dr. Fauci. Are you up for that? I am up. Let's try it. All right, we're back with author God Sod, author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. You can get it right now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Uh, God, I, I want to ask you about this, because, you know, a year ago, you're talking about about infectious ideas, and obviously we're going through a great actual viral infection right now with this pandemic. Uh, a-, a year ago dr fauci and and i i keep using this as the as the the basis for my argument that we've been listening to this notion of the science or fauciism as i call it uncritically and that people have become largely brainwashed and they act like sheep and they just do whatever they're told and this is why i've been able to predict things months and months in advance like i guarantee you folks he will start to say oh we need double masking or oh we need n95 masks i've been saying that since the summer of 2020 and sure enough here we are uh The 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 claim that Fauci made that's that the science did not support masking and then the switch over to actually we all need to be masking because the science says so this this caught on like like wildfire. I mean, this caught on like the virus itself, in a sense, you know, mentally with people. Why? Why do you think that? Because to me, it seems like that's just. It, there's a bunch of different factors you can point to, but this is a perfect idea of, a, of a or rather a perfect example of a parasitic idea, which is just listen to Fauci and the state and you'll be safe.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to the couple there. So one thing I would say, and this is something that I discuss in, in the context of the parasitic mind, but more generally in terms of how do you seek truth? And so in chapter seven of my book, I talk about something that I refer to as uh, nomological networks of cumulative evidence. If I want to prove to you scientifically that the position that i'm taking is correct it's actually a very very hard process i will get data from you from across cultures from across time periods from across methodologies from across frameworks across dependent measures all of which if they point in the same direction then results in a tsunami of evidence in support of my position so when you're doing that you also recognize the flip side which is epistemic humility epistemic humility is when a scientist knows what he or she knows and knows what he or she doesn't know. The problem with Fauci is he's got zero epistemic humility, right? So in other words, he, he always pronounces positions that are going to have gigantic downstream effects on hundreds of millions of people, even though on Monday he said A, and then Tuesday he says not A. Now, most people follow because, you know, he's wearing the proverbial white robe And so if Lord His Eminence Fauci says uh, skip, then we all skip along. It becomes a fast and frugal heuristic for us to organize our lives. Not unlike, by the way, how religion achieves the same thing. If my imam or my rabbi or my priest says you have to do this, I don't question it. I do it. Well, now we do have a grand priest of quote science. His name is Fauci. So shut up and obey, Rube.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we see happening. And it's been happening now for many, many months. And and I also think that that one problem I, I wanted to broaden this out a little bit. But but the Fauci point, I think, is is an example of it. And that is that people, when you tell them that they have what, what you what you describe as a parasitic idea. I think there's uh, a sense of of I don't know, if vanity is the right word, but perhaps uh, an arrogance that that turns into a delusion oh, I'm not caught up in an idea that doesn't make any sense, that isn't supported. I'm too smart to be fooled in that way.
5: Exactly. Look, uh, the capacity for human beings to engage in self-deception is infinite. I'll I'll tell you a very quick story. I walk into class, I I haven't done it in a few years, but I used to come to class and I would ask students to pull out a paper and then write down whether they think of themselves as below below average in intelligence, average in intelligence, Or above-average intelligence and I would ask them to do the same thing regarding their looks. Well, it turns out Buck that my students are always supermodel uh, Einsteins meaning what they all we tend to have an erroneous Sense of ourselves right now and to some to some extent that's a good thing You want to kind of walk around life with a chip on your shoulder so that you could tackle life's challenges, but As you pointed to in your original question, people have this uncanny ability to self-deceive. Oh, no, no, I couldn't be engaging in faulty thinking. I'm too smart for that. Therein lies the problem, and that's why you need to be reading the parasitic mind.
1: Give us uh, just what what the the case—you've got a couple minutes here, uh, God—the case for optimism about how our society can get through this. I I won't even say will, but can get through this, because right now— it feels like the bad guys are winning. It feels like the yes. parasitic ideas have taken. You know, Parasites like to stay on a host. They don't like to kill the host usually because they want to continue to feed off of it. It starts to feel like the parasitic ideas in our society could actually kill off a free society like America.
5: Uh, look, there are a couple of things that might sound cliche-ish, but they're actually quite profound because most people are unable to meet the challenge. So let me give you a couple. Number one. Don't subcontract your voice to others. In other words, a lot of people will say, well, I don't have your uh, fancy professorship. I don't have your big platform to affect change. Well, I understand that, but you don't have to have a large platform. You could still affect change within your unique sphere of influence. If your principal starts uh, imposing insane teaching lessons at your uh, kid's elementary school, intervene, write an email, request to see them. If your friend says something on Facebook that, on Facebook that is completely insane, challenge them politely. If your professor says something that you think is wrong, challenge him or her politely. In other words, we all have a voice to effect however big or small a change that, that we can. A second thing that you can certainly do is what I call activate your inner honey badger. The honey badger is an extraordinarily fierce animal. It's the size of a small dog, and yet it could withstand an attack of six adult lions. How does it do that? because it's insane. It is so fierce that nobody will approach it. Well, you need to have that same sense of ferocity when it comes to defending your principles, if they are well-articulated and well-reasoned. This is why, you know, some people ask, well, how come you're not cancelable, Professor Sad?" Well, because I'm a huddy badger. If you come after me, you better not miss, because I'm coming back after you 10 times harder. And so there are reflexes that we can foster in us so that if in unison we all stand up together, by next Tuesday we'll destroy all the parasitic ideas if not, it'll be a long long train ride to hell
1: The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, our friend God Sad, God, appreciate it man, thanks so much for joining us and everyone should check out the book.
5: Thank you buddy great talking to you, cheers. It's time
0: for Roll
1: Call. Producer Mark, you ready for the weekend, my friend? What, tell, tell everybody, what's on the Producer Mark uh, you know, list of, of awesome things that he wants to do?
7: Uh, I'm going to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I'm not Irish that, at all, but it's an excuse to be with my friends and drink.
1: Isn't that, is that this weekend? I think no, it's, it's
7: like Wednesday. Yeah, like it's like the yeah. 17th, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter when you celebrate. And it's just an excuse what? to celebrate. Buck.
1: But what is this now? So are you guys going to stand, you know, twenty feet apart outside, drinking green beer? What? How are you going to celebrate? Uh, it depends on who's asking. Well, I got you. Okay, no. fair enough. No. I, I like uh, I like where your heads at on that one. So that's nice. You going to be outdoors? You going to be indoors? What's the plan?
7: I guess it depends on the weather. I don't I don't know what the weather is like in uh, in this neck of the woods this weekend. But it's been nice out, so maybe we will go outside. Fair
1: enough. No, yeah. fair enough. All right. Mrs. Mark, have any fun plans?
7: Well, usually she's with me. I'm just making.
1: I don't know. Maybe she lets. It's like the guys do the St. Patrick's Day thing. I don't know. I'm just. No,
7: it was just an idea. One of my friends had an excuse to hang out. Yeah. Are yeah, you a beer drinker? Um. Yeah. I. I don't know if it's my number one, but yeah, absolutely. Do you have
1: a like? What is? What is the beer when you walk into a bar that you order?
7: Um, well, usually be bars will have fairly common beers, so like maybe a Blue Moon, like a type right. Well, that's like what that. I mean. Yeah. Oh, that you're a blue.
1: Are you a Blue Moon with an orange slice guy? Look at I you, do bougie. Like the orange slice, yeah. Look at bougie Mark, everybody. I had a feeling.
7: We know how's there's. That, we know there's that lots bougie? of bougie.
1: It's very a Blue Moon with an orange slice. Producer Mark, you're talking to a lot of people across the country who drink Bud Light. Damn it, and they're they love it. I have no you problem know, American with American
7: beer. I like Bud Light, but, you know, if I'm drinking a beer to enjoy myself, I prefer a, not even just Blue Moon, like that type of beer. I don't even know what it's called.
1: I see you drinking some Delirium Tremens, you know, that like fancy Belgian beer that people have sometimes. I do
7: like the Belgian-German style beer, yeah. Oh,
1: too, yeah, that you know. stuff is delicious. I used to drink beer, so I know about these things. Now I can't drink it anymore. Don't they work. have
7: good gluten-free beers now?
1: Nah, not really. They've got good uh, cider because it's made from fruit and not from grain. But the problem with, like, you'll drink a a big thing of cider. It's like double the sugar that you'll even get in a Coca-Cola. It's terrible for you. Cider's delicious. But
7: the seltzers are all very good.
1: Wow. Is producer Mark, I appreciate this. Producer Mark is so confident in his producer Markness that he is letting all of America know right now that he drinks White Claw and he's not ashamed of it.
7: It, it There's no better summer drink than a White Claw or a Bud Light Seltzer even. They've come out with Bud Light Lemonades, which I'm very interested in trying. I'm
1: just telling you, I, I, there, there's like 10% right now of our listeners across the country are nodding their heads up and down. Producer Mark knows it's delicious. And I'd yeah. say, you know, somewhere in the 80 to 90% range, they're going to produce their, their side to side. Very upset that Producer That's Mark a is a That's a higher number Claw than drinker. you
7: think.
1: Yeah, you know, it might be a little, there, might be a little yeah, more. There are a lot of number. people who
7: love the White Claws and the Seltzers that won't admit it.
1: So here's my, here's my theory. White Claw is to drinks what Creed is to music taste. Everybody says they hate it, but when no one's looking behind closed doors, people are popping their White Claws and listening to their Creed. You know, that's what's happening. I'm
7: pretty sure you've said on this show before that you have tried it and enjoyed it.
1: I mean, I'm, I can neither confirm nor exactly.
7: deny. Exactly. Yep, this is your Creed.
1: Not neither. Oh, man. And I, I always tell them, like, I like Creed. I actually I do think Nickelback is just not that great. It's not because everyone trashes Nickelback, but like Creed is the original Nickelback, and Creed is way better than Nickelback, which everybody should know. So
7: I know like I, three songs from both bands. That's about yeah.
1: It. I've been I've been on a on a '90s rock kick recently when I'm trying to go to the gym, which the gym is working out fine. It's the stop eating so damn much part of it that is uh, that is the challenge that I find. Like I'm getting stronger, like I'm lifting more weight and stuff like that, which is nice. That's encouraging. But to really get the uh, the more aesthetic effect, you know, I have to stop eating cookie dough in between meals and put down chocolate bars, and you know, it's like, what's the fun in that, though, Producer Mark? What's the fun in that? It's
7: all one step at a time. First, you get in the exercise routine, and then you work work on eating better. Yeah, one step at a time. True, very true. All right, let's get
1: to um, let's get to uh, Jr. Who's kicking us off here with roll call, Buck and Mark. King Edward and Braveheart lamented. The problem with Scotland is there are too many Scots. We'll breathe them out. The Democrats lament. The problem with the Republic is there are too many Republicans. Let's cancel them out. Yeah, I think that, uh, JR, your point here is that Democrats don't want Republicans to actually be around. I think, unfortunately, that's kind of true. It's pretty sad, really. Oh, wait, you got more. The deeper insidious goal of the left is globalism. Hence, climate change must be a global effort. A global effort demands that there are no borders. A centralized world government must rule. Exceptionalism is to be utterly obliterated. The mighty must be brought down, and we will all live as one. From my own personal experience, this has been percolating since the 60s and in other parts of the world prior to that. Either intentionally or by happenstance, the Democrats are setting a course that was supposed to continue after Obama, through Hillary, and to whoever was next. It would have been irreversible, but for the damage by Trump, it's easy to understand their contempt if you see it from this viewpoint. Shields High didn't save Rome. Um, or even Shields High didn't save Rome. Jr. that was kind of a bummer. JR's kind of bumming me out, man. Yeah, I guess technically Rome did fall. You know, Amer- I think America's got a little more time in it before we dissolve into something else. But uh, no nation state lasts forever, friends. And Democrats are trying really hard. They're kicking at the load-bearing walls of our republic. And they think it's hilarious. They think, they think it's great. They're, they're drunk with power these days. But at least we got each other, team. At least we got each other. Oh, you know, producer Mark, um, a family member brought up last night that she has, It was my mom, uh, that she's like, where are your Team Buck t-shirts? And I agreed. Shouldn't we do this? Shouldn't we get t-shirts? We have a great website, bucksexson.com. So shouldn't we get t-shirts set up?
7: Of what course, do you think? we should get a whole merch store set up.
1: Yeah, I got got to get that. I know we brought it up before, but yeah. now we at least bucksexon.com you can listen to the podcast there. We do post stories, I post editorials there. So that's all going well. But uh, I would love to get some merch. We could at create the, a, Do at, we want to create a, a producer mark penalty box t-shirt, you know, where absolutely. you just like we, we get you in like one of those refs shirts and you're like waving your finger back and forth or something and uh, you know.
7: We'll come so, up yeah. with some. We have there's smarter graphic designers out there than
1: us we should do it though Absolutely. i mean, would rather we should have it done you know yeah. that, that's what at I at the
7: imagine. rate we usually do stuff uh coming soon by 2023
1: yeah it's happening but i like to put i'm an ideas guy you know we're ideas guys here on the freedom Hunt, we're, so like we have
7: plenty ideas. of ideas it's just the execution part that, that's you know, true you
1: know. matthew buck i want you to make i want to make sure you know i sit on the other side of the aisle from you politically i don't always like what you say or how you say it <laughs> okay. However, I believe in open dialogue and for you to have the right to your platform. Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to speak to your views. With that, I went on and gave you a review on Apple Podcasts. You work very hard at what you do and deserve the right to say when you need to. Keep it up. Hey, Matthew, man, I'll take it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Hopefully, you didn't give me one star on Apple Podcasts, but I appreciate, nonetheless, that you gave a review and it sounds like you, uh, you respect. Don't the,
7: worry. We haven't gotten any of those recently.
1: Okay, good. Um, you res- uh, you respect the. Uh, are we still uh, producer Mark? Are we still seeing some folks pitching in. Yeah, a couple more trickle in every day. All righty, well, guys, keep it going, please. Keep those reviews. Remember, you go Apple Podcast, five stars. You can, I, you know, just write. Buck is awesome. He keeps me safe and warm at night with his podcast, and producer Mark keeps him in line. So it's a great show. You should check it out. There, you can just you just say that. Just write that. You know, that's all you need to do. Really helps us out, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Dave writes, hey, Buck, I'm seeing on Facebook my friend's posts going to good county schools. It looks like the rules are so unreasonable that they want their kids to stay virtual. I'm surprised they're not surprised. Uh, The administrators are making it impossible for these kids to go back to what they expect to be normal. The progressive mentality is spread from the city to the counties. Keep up the great work, Buck and producer Mark. Uh, Yeah, Dave, you know, there are a lot of counties where there's a lot of blue going on, even if you're not in a city. And that means that there is this mentality that we got to do the Fauciism, and I'll just say this: uh, that look, we got to remember that these schools being open—that's a very broad term, right? When they say open, I mean Biden gives this whole thing about, "Oh, we're gonna open hundred blah 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 schools hundred days." That doesn't mean one day a week. Does it mean four hours a day? Does it mean shifts, rotations of, of students in the classroom? Uh, you know, that that they, you know, some days some kids come in, other days other kids come in. I mean, the, the the reality is that schools should just be open, okay? The reality is that schools should be open across the country, everywhere, fully. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating that, at the Dalton School here in New York City, which is one of the most elite and expensive schools in New York City and, and, and in the country, uh, there, was, there was an article written in The, in the Atlantic about how the par- there was a kind of revolt among the parents at Dalton because a lot of other fancy private schools in New York, and for, you, for those of you are wondering how fancy or how expensive these schools are, if you had a fifth grader, let's say, if you had a fifth grader who was going to Dalton, you'd be paying about in tuition $60,000 a year. That's right. For the fifth grade. It's more or than for I the first for grade. college. Yeah. 50, 60, 50 to $60,000 a year. Yeah. And there's a lot of schools like that in New York City. I went to a private school called Regis, which is a Jesuit school, where the tuition was $20 a year. I'm not kidding. That was for the laboratory fees and admin fees. $20 a year. Was what my school cost, producer Mark? I think we, I think mine was a better, a better deal, better bargain.
7: Slightly, wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, the the sixty thousand dollar a year schools, though, um, which were not as the kids were not as smart as my school. I'm just saying. But anyway, because uh, th- I got I got into all those sixty thousand dollar a year schools, I didn't go to them. And I know, I know, and that's not even a humble brag. I'm just being, I'm just being that guy right now. But the point is that that one of the schools wasn't open. And that school then had parents, particularly had parents who were doctors. Uh, you know, parents of children there who were doctors. There were like twenty of them that wrote, a, and they wrote in, they're saying, "Where is? Why aren't schools open?" So when it affected them, I, I guarantee you, these parents are are almost all liberals and Biden voters because Dalton's a very liberal school. But when their kids aren't able to go to school and they're paying for it, their attitude is, uh, "We're scientists. We're doctors too." Why can't our kids, other schools are open. Why can't our schools be open? This is the classic Democrat mentality. They know what the herd is supposed to do, what the Democrat herd is supposed to do. They know what they're supposed to believe and they don't want to challenge it. So what they do instead is they just go along, as long as their kids are fine, they go along with what's the consensus because they don't want to be you know, pushed out of the, the circle of, of the elites. Um, so that that just but it was it was amazing to see how you had doctor. I haven't seen that, you know, in any other in any other setting where you had a couple dozen doctors who are parents all come together and say, what the heck is going on in general with schools? But no, their children they are paying sixty thousand dollars a year and their kids were doing virtual learning and they're saying uh, the science doesn't actually support this. Well, if it doesn't support it for kids whose parents are rich, I don't think it supports it for anyone's kids, does it? exactly check me. our right, more roll call to kick us off for the weekend nick buck what would the money compared to population be i'm here in denver where over the last 10 years the progressives have come in and ruined the state but if you were to compare population to the amount given in this ridiculous package would things look uh, would things look correct um, let me see I, I don't really understand if you were to compare population to the amount given in this ridiculous package would the uh, nick i'm sorry man i, I don't really understand Please write back in with what you mean comparing money to population. I, I don't really get it. Um, I don't really. I'm, uh, Producer Mark, do you, do you see what the, the question is? I'm, I'm confused.
7: Uh, no. I
1: kind much. of understand, but I'm not really clear what he's asking me. The last 10 years, progressives have come and ruined the state. But if you were to compare population to the amount given in this ridiculous package.
7: Oh, I think he, she, he must be talking about like how much New York got versus how much Oklahoma got in the
1: oh. package. Yeah, no, no. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Nick, I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked at that, at that breakdown, and, and uh, I'm sure that that's, you know, if it looks bad for Democrats, you'll have to look very hard to find it, but I, I, will, I will see if I can find it. All right, more here from Jamie. I've been listening to you since the first time you filled in for Rush. Your Lepanto deep dive is an annual part of our homeschooling life. Wow, thank you so much. That's amazing. Uh, in the last year, and particularly the last four months, I've given up on most news and commentary I feel that if I'm not being outright lied to, I'm being agitated and depressed intentionally because someone somewhere has calculated that's beneficial to their ratings. But I trust you, Buck Sexton. Shields high. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. I, I try to be worthy of your trust always. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not always right. I don't always see things uh, with absolute clarity. But I tell you who I am, what I believe, what I think, and I tell it to you honestly. So I appreciate that that... Uh, clearly has some some meaning for you. And and the fact that you do the Lepanto Deep Dive, and I know I've said, guys, we have the History Podcast coming. I'm I'm not, that's a, it's a business thing. We're just, we're trying to get uh, some major corporate sponsors for a series of six History Deep Dive podcasts. Uh, they're, they're ready to, as soon as that happens, we're ready to go and release them. But that's the only way that we can get the work and labor and everything into them, and editing and have producer Mark stay up late at night to get it going so that's that's the part of it that's holding it up it's not the work from our end it's you know we're waiting to get them pitched and to get them lined up with um with podcast sponsors so that's what's going to be happening uh going forward adi writes good morning buck i've been listening for a while now i enjoy you and producer mark tremendously just so you know i'm listening to you from israel on the iheart app Oh, well, that's awesome I'm an Israeli married to an American. By the way, if you want to hear a horror story about immigration, I can give you one, and maybe people will understand the injustice of illegal immigration. I wish there was a little bit of talk about the hardship that legal immigration has to prove and, versus, and reality versus the government just handing illegal immigrants. I'm crossing my fingers for our great country. We're all going to survive this administration. hope you and yours are happy and healthy. Well, Adi, thanks so much for writing in. We appreciate it. And uh, great to have Team Buck Israel in the house. Alex, hey, Buck and Mark, I know you often say Trump didn't get many sustainable things done under his first four years. He did sign a bunch of EOs. That's not the same as legislation. I agree. Any EO that he did sign has now been undone by the drooler in chief. The issue is with the way you frame it. I believe that during Trump's first two years when Republicans had both the House and the Senate, half of the idiots actually believed the GOP actually believed Trump colluded with Russia and didn't support his agenda. I just think he was hamstrung from the get go. What do you think? Love the show and ExpressVPN and Black Rifle Coffee and my pillow. Stay in the fight. Shields high. Alex, you're a Team Buck superstar. Thank you so much for supporting our sponsors. That means the world to us, keeps us in business. And um, as for your assessment of Trump, yeah, I think think you make valid points entirely. Team, that's it. Have a great weekend. Back Monday. Shields high.